parts of East Tennessee, there's a beautiful little church with a strange name. On the sign out in front of the church, there's a a name that's written in artful letters, the name Compromise Church. Compromise Church. There's a story behind the name. It was built in the early 20th century, and the congregation could not agree on the name. Uh, One group of people wanted to call it one name, and another was determined to call it something else. So the conflict became so severe that it threatened to break up the church family. And in the end, they decided that they would call it Compromise Church in order to avoid conflict. Unfortunately, Compromise is a name that's written upon many churches, not because they're trying to avoid conflict, but because they've become accommodating to the culture they live in. They want to be well thought of, which is a noble noble idea, but due to fear of how they'll be perceived with compromise. Let that not be said of this church. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. To three young men, Specifically, who said that they would not compromise. I was able to be with the youth in their class this morning and had an opportunity to teach them. And I told them, despise not your youth. Despise not your youth. You have the ability to make a difference in the world that you live in. they said, we will not compromise, we will stand. Verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us the story. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura. It, it, was, it was nine stories high. That's what the, the cubits were. So it was nine stories high. Think of a nine story building. That's how high this statue made an image of gold or a statue. We don't know what the image was, but it's an image of gold. It was a statue. And he set it out in the desert of Adora in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to, to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And he called everybody out. Every, anybody who was anybody was there. And everybody in the kingdom came out to look at this great image that they were all going to bow to. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all rulers of the province were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that he had set up. Then a herald cried out to you and his commanded all people and nations that at what time you hear the sound of the flute, the cornet, the harp, the sackbut, the dulcimer, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar hath set up. And whoso falleth not down, everybody says, whoever stands, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, the moment had come. And all the people had heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, and all 
people, nations and languages, everybody around, thousands of people, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. This was God's people. Everybody say, that's me. That's you in the story. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian in this house, that's you. This is where you connect with the story. That's you, the Jews. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young men, three young men, probably 20 years old. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. When everybody bowed down, these three young men, speak to you on the topic today, standing. Standing. I'm going to stand for Jesus. It takes, it takes courage, but we're going to stand. Uh, we have a reason to be courageous, not because of our own greatness, but because we serve a great, all-powerful God. And it's because of His power that I can stand. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. God, we're thankful for your word thankful to be with your people. Lord, we're, we're, we're going to stand for you as a body, as a church, Lord. We're going to, not through our own strength, God, but through your power and your strength, Lord, we're, we're going to stand. When everyone else is bowing down, God, I've settled it in my mind, but I'm going to continue, Lord, for you. I am going to stand. Large statues constructed by kings in ancient times are not all that uncommon. In 2500 B.C., around 2500 B.C., uh, the Great Sphinx was constructed in Egypt. It had a lion's body with a human head. And all of the people of Egypt bowed down to this godlike figure because in ancient times, this is what they did. They built big statues, and they bowed down to these statues. Ramesses II and other pharaohs built statues of themselves and placed these large statues throughout ancient Egypt. Still considered to be one of the great wonders of the ancient world was the statue of the god Zeus in Athens. It was built, I'm sorry, in Olympia, Greece. It was a 40-foot tall statue of the Greek god. And all of these statues were designed to be worshipped and bowed down to. So the object, they were objects of worship from the nation. These were things that everybody in the society would say, this is our God. This is who we serve. Nebuchadnezzar's statue that we read about in the opening text was enormous. It does not say 
uh, and we're not 100% certain, but it likely uh, was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. It was 90 feet tall. That's the equivalent of a nine-story building, a nine-story building. This statue, again, was not unique uh, because statues in this time were not unique. It's what they did. They built statues, and everybody came around and bowed down. How many knows that we still have things that we bow down to in our society today? That's not ever ended. We stopped building statues, but we continue to have things that we worship because everybody worships something. Everyone worships something. We are not a godless people. As much as we uh, atheism has become more of a norm in our postmodern age, don't let that fool you. No one is godless. Everyone is serving something in their life. Everybody has something that they get up for every day. So statues themselves, uh, although they're foreign to us, were the ways that they acknowledge that innate desire. They just they didn't play around and pretend like they weren't worshiping something. They just built it and did it. That's the way they did things back in their day. There was no hidden uh, part of them that said, we're, we're too uh, past worshiping anything. They just acknowledged it and owned it. So people building statues and worshiping them what was, was not unique. What was unique, however, were people that had refused to bow down. People that had settled it in their mind that they would stand. In this story specifically, it was three young men who said, we will not bow down. We are going to stand. This was a tremendous sight. Thousands of people out in a desert plain. Can you imagine? Thousands of people. There's a, a uh, what they call a burning man festival out in the middle of the desert. If you go out in the west, they go out in the middle of this desert and they take this giant statue, and this happens today, the world that we live in today. They take this giant cardboard statue, and they build up this huge uh, uh, statue of, of a man. And people come from all around, and they light this thing on fire, and they watch it burn. It's called the Burning Man Festival. It's out in the middle of the desert, similar to this. This was a similar sight. Thousands of people standing in front of a nine-foot statue. And on the right is the king and his throne, watching everyone bow down to this image, an image perhaps that was of himself. He's got his whole uh, elite group around him, all of his princes and everyone around. It's what his royal guard. There's all sorts of pomp and circumstances. And to the left, on the other side, is a raging, fiery furnace. And this is the destination of anyone who says we will not bow. For the people that say I'm going to stand, they're going to feel heat. For the people that say I'm going to stand, they're going to feel pressure knowing that that's my destination if I stand. So no one dare not, not, dare not stand unless they have a specific reason. There is dead silence amongst the group as everyone waits for the music to start because this is going to be the cue for them to bow. And suddenly the silence is broken with the psaltery and harp and the, all of the different instruments and people all around begin to bow down on their knees to this statue. The pressure is too great. At the image, knowing that there's the king that will judge us and there's the fiery furnace where our destination will be. No doubt there were people there that thought the whole thing wasn't believable. 
There are people there that I'm certain thought to themselves, this is kind of ridiculous. I don't want to bow down to this thing. But the sight of the king and the sight of the furnace was a real sight in front of them. It wasn't just the statue itself that was a problem. It was the pressure they were going to feel for standing out. So the music starts, and in the middle of this sea of humanity, in the middle of thousands of people who see the fiery furnace and say, I'm going to bow, were three young men who were standing firmly and would not bend their knees. It was the Hebrews refusing to bow to another god. After all, the command was clear, and it still still happens to this day. The command or the pressures from society still happens for us in the day that we live in. The pressure to bow is real. Before they know it, they're standing in front of a mad king who is asking them to compromise. Who's asking them, well, you know, I'm going to need you to bow down. I made this decree, and I'm going to need you to bow down. But they find themselves in front of everyone, and the king is giving them an ultimatum. And the heat of the furnace is in their face. It's all fun and games until you feel the heat of the furnace. What will they do? Compromise is the easy answer. Well, I don't want to have to be offensive to the Babylonian culture, so I'll just go ahead and bow. No one will notice. I'll just bow. God understands. He doesn't want me to die, so he will forgive me. I'll just go ahead and bow down outside, but inside I'll be fighting it tooth and nail. Inside I'll be, you know, I'm not going to do it with my heart. I'll bow on the outside just to to do it, but inside I'll fight it. And God will be proud of me for fighting it on the inside. Is that what they did? Not whatsoever. For them, the answer was easy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, with the heat of the fiery furnace in their face, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods, and we're not going to worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God in heaven has all power to deliver us, O king. If he wants to and he chooses to, that's his business. But if he does not, I'm still going to stand. I'm still going to stand. See, the pressure to bow down is upon us today in our society. And it's going to increase as the world gets darker and darker. And just in case you haven't taken inventory in a while, our world is getting darker. Scripture tells us that in the last days, the world will get darker and darker and darker. The days of being able to blend in as a Christian and become a a kind of a part of everybody else, those days are gone. Those days are far behind us. The moral decay of our society is increasing rapidly. Mass shootings, corrupt politicians, sexual immorality, the breakdown of the family unit, this is all happening in front of our eyes as we speak. It's not just the fact that our world is sinful. 
It's the fact that everyone around us accepts it. And not just accepts it, but glorifies it. The fact that people now actually celebrate the darkness of the world that we live in. See, this moral decay goes hand in hand with the direction, or with the, the, the rejection, I should say, of God. The Apostle Paul told us it was going to be that way. He said that in the last days, people would reject God and choose to worship the creation more than the Creator. And he tells us with, that with this, dark and perilous times would come. That the moral decay would be real. Can I tell you today that 25% of all women will be sexually abused at some point in time in their life? That's what the statistics say now. I don't trust all statistics. I don't know. But one out of four seems high. Let's say, wouldn't you agree that one out of ten is high in that number? Wouldn't you agree that one out of a hundred is high at that number? Nearly five out of every ten pregnancies in the United States will end in abortion. Five out of ten. Every evidence indicates that a demonic spirit of disease has released in the earth that goes far beyond the usual patterns of disease. Sickness has come upon us in a way that's reminiscent of the bubonic plague, the sicknesses that are in us now. Our suicide rate is increasing at a rapid pace, higher than it's ever been. The spirit of anger is plaguing our highways. The number one problem that police officers have on the highways are road rage. Teen suicide ranks as the second leading cause of death for those ages 15 to 19. The spirit of perversion has joined forces with the spirit of violence. It spawned a disgusting new class of brutal crimes against the human race. That's happening right now as we speak. We understand now that drug trafficking and human sex trafficking are rapidly increasing in the society that we live in today. The spirit of witchcraft, Satanism, has become the thing of today. For anybody that says that, well, you know, we're just not really religious anymore. Boy, it sure seems bizarre that witchcraft, satanic uh, 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 ideas are now the theme of television shows. That's now the norm. Zombies, death, everything. The spirit of pornography is gaining ground and converts at an astounding rate. One in five American adults has visited a sexually oriented website, according to a survey conducted by Zogby. Poll also revealed that 17.8% of born-again Christians have visited a sex site. 70% of pornographic magazines end up in the hands of underage minors. 7 out of 10. The spirit of murder is casting a dark shadow over every square mile of our nation. Places that people would never expect that people are showing up to shoot and kill people. We are more disconnected as a society. We are lonelier than ever before. We are more addicted than we've ever been before. And people live their lives without purpose. What God is looking for in the middle of this world is not people to compromise, to acquiesce that outcome. 
But what God is looking for and what people that are looking for that are trying to escape out of that world is a people that are willing to stand and say, I will not bow down to the ideas, the philosophy, the morality, the educational programs, but I'm going to stand and be a light and a beacon and a hope in this God-forsaken world. Who will stand in this place today? Who's going to be willing to say, I will not bow down to the ideas of this world, but I'm going to be a light in my region and in my community because this world needs somebody to stand. It needs somebody to stand. Jeremiah said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest in your souls. See, all these ideas of family and God, all of these ideas that said, you know what, we need to indoctrinate our kids to pray to this Jesus. All these ideas were right. It's the old path. And what God needs in this day and hour is the same thing that he needed with the prophet Jeremiah. It's to say somebody that will say, it may sound old-fashioned, but I'm going to stand for the things that Jesus stood for. I'll be willing to stand out and not bow down. Prophet Ezekiel spoke for God when he said, I sought for a man among them that should make up for the edge and stand in the gap for all of men. God is looking for a people not to bow down and not to compromise our message, not to be afraid to speak of ideas that are tough, not to be afraid to call sin, sin, but to look for a people that are willing to stand out in a world that is getting darker and darker and darker. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads. That's the result when nobody is willing to stand. That's what happens in communities where people just bow down and say, I refuse to stand out. I just want to fit in. I just want to be a part. The Bible says that he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He didn't call us to be a light that's hid under a bushel, but he called us to be a light that shines in this world because people are looking desperately for something that's different, for an escape out of the place that they're in. You need somebody to stand. I'm thankful today for people that are willing to stand. So what exactly does it mean? It means that we are not to accept sin as okay, even when it's out of fashion to say so. Sin is not okay. And the way the world thinks is backwards. If you find yourself too much in line with the world's way of thinking, if you seldom find yourself not scratching your head, saying, my goodness, this is corrupt, then you're not in the Word of God enough. Because the Word of God will cause you when you read it to say, our world is backwards. The way of thinking is wrong. You're not in connection with God enough if you're not consistently finding yourself saying, man, things are darker than ever. I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and I saw 
I saw this image of, of, of a, a child uh, dressed up in woman's outfit, what they call drag, for the, this is as far as I'm going to go. But they were lauding his parents, applauding his parents on Good Morning America. Applauding his parents. And the crowd is cheering and clapping as the child comes up dancing up through the middle. And you can use your imagination as what that looked like. It was wrong. And all of the adults in the room were clapping their hands. They brought him up on stage and said, we applaud the parents for tolerating him and, and allowing him to be who he is. It's sick and perverted. It is. Not going to call it anything else. It's sin. It's wrong. I, I, want the I want all the people to be saved. I say that, I say that not in hate or in anger. But if the way of thinking is wrong and perverted, so sin is sin. Say it. Speak it. Be willing to, to fight against it. If you find yourself nodding your head too much in, in agreement with the things of the world, you need to ask yourself the question, am I spending too much time in the world and not enough time in God's presence because you can't be in his presence and be like the world at the same time. We have to strive for God's ideal in our lives. This is a place where we understand that everybody's in different spots. We're not trying to put everybody through a uniform outcome. Everybody's in different places. Stay in your own lane and worry about yourself here. So I'm not, I'm not interested in, in trying to... But we should strive for God's ideal in our lives. We should be striving for what God's best is for our lives. Refusing to say that God's best for me is to live in a life of, of less than what God wants for me. To tolerate sin in my own life is less than what God wants for you. It's less than what God wants for me. So God has an ideal, and those that are standing for Him will say that this isn't just some recreational activity for me on Sundays. I submit myself fully to God's plan for my life, even if that means that there are things I will have to sacrifice. Guess what? That's what he meant when he said, those that follow me will take up their cross and follow me. That's real Christianity. It's to take up a cross and follow him. Dare to be on fire. Sold out. Fully in. God was disgusted with the church in Revelation in Laodicea because they were neither hot nor cold. He said, I'd rather you just be cold or hot. Don't be lukewarm because lukewarm is useless. God's looking for people that will be on fire and say, God, I'm on sold out completely to you. And I will stand. To stand is to speak truth when the world is speaking lies. John the Baptist did, and he lost his head for it. He told the elite of his day their sins, and they hated him for it. He spoke truth about their sins so much that he ended up with his head on a platter. But what he told was truth, and Christ spoke the truth, and they hated him so much for it that they crucified him. See, when you speak the truth, there will be great cost to you. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to pay that price when the fire is in your face? When you feel the flames... to speak the truth that Jesus spoke. 
doesn't matter how much you gave to charity. doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how great you are at your job. doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. You know what Jesus' message was? You must be born again. This isn't a place where we all gather together and become religious so we can feel good like we've done our duty. This is a place where we acknowledge that we are broken and we need to be fixed. We need to be born again. We need to be transformed and changed. This isn't my made-up doctrine. It's not my tradition. It's not my opinion. This was the apostolic message that you must be born again. And the New Testament church preached it like this. You are to repent. You are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you are to receive the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will give you strength to overcome the sin that you're facing every single day. That's the message that we live with. We are to be a beacon of hope looking for those to be transformed. That's part of standing. The byproduct of you standing out is you are a beacon of hope for those around you that are really looking for a way out of the world they live in. I've heard people say before, well, shouldn't we, shouldn't we compromise because we want to become more relatable to the, 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 the person coming in from out, the, what we call the sinner. I know that word's not in vogue anymore. But to the unbeliever or the sinner, Shouldn't we move, move the mark to become more accommodating to that? Shouldn't we make our messages less harsh? Because you know what I've found is that people that really want to escape where they're living, for people that are really in hell, they don't want somebody to move the mark. They want to see it loud and clear and know, oh, that's the place where they stand. I say that because I lived it. I had religion. I had it. I had an idea about God. And I watched people go in and talk about God and talk about how powerful they, He is. And I watched people walk around as if He meant nothing to their life. And I knew it's all a lie. You don't believe it. But I'm thankful for this church that I walked into where people like really worshipped. And their lives were really different than the other lives around me. Wasn't just an idea. These people were quote unquote what we call separated from the world. And when I saw it, I thought, these people believe what they're saying. They believe it in their bones. Why? Because they are a beacon of hope. Because when you stand, you are going to stand out. And for people that want to change, they are looking for a church where people will stand. I ask you today to stand wherever you are, in your workplace, in your families. Stand. It takes courage to stand. It takes courage to believe this in such a way that it affects you and transforms you in a way that everybody around you is like, man, that person really believes in what they live. It's not just, it's not just a part of them. It is them. See, I, I, I do... I do whitewater, whitewater kayaking, and it's funny, the people that whitewater kayak, it's kind of cultish the way that they live their lives. It becomes their entire life, and they know I'm a fraud. They know I'm not all in. Not because I tell them. Because of my speech betrays me. Because what comes out of your mouth, what you talk about, the way that you talk about it, my actions betray me. 
The way I look betrays me. All these things betray me. And they know I'm a fraud. They know that I'm a, they know that that, that, that that kayaking is not my God. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. I can't fit in with them. Because that's not what I serve. And that's a that's a that's that's a, a real life example of the way the way everything exists. When you're at your job and everybody else is working a, a thousand hours of overtime and their lives are all stressed out and they have no peace and that's the way work goes, they see a calm peace upon you because you're a child of God. They see composure. They see somebody who speaks not lies and hypocrisy, but they see somebody that speaks truth. You know why? Because you stand. Because you are willing to stand. And when you stand, you will stand out. When everybody else is filthiness coming out of your ma- their mouth, it doesn't come out of your mouth because you stand. You, you can't be like God and not stand out. And what I found, uh, what I found is when I stand for God, He stands for me. And that's what the Hebrew children found out. Because when they took them and they said, how much do you really believe this? See, that's, that's what the world wants to figure out. How much do you really believe this? These guys believed it in their bones. They believed it so much that they said, we will go to the fiery furnace. So they took them and they threw them in the fiery furnace, these stubborn three boys. And when they threw them in the fiery furnace, the king looked down into the fiery furnace and he turned up hotter than it had ever been. He turned it as hot as he could, threw them into it, and the king looks down into the middle of the fiery furnace and he said, how many did we throw down in there? How many? They said three. He said, well, who's the fourth man in the fire? See, when you stand for God, He's going to stand with you. He's going to stand with you. And when all of, the, all of eternity, when all of eternity burns everything else away in our lives, just like it did in that fire furnace, you know who's going to be there? Everything else is burnt away. It's just going to be you, and it's just going to be God. That's our end. That's our end. That's our destination. And it's what a place that I want to be. I want to be with Him forever. Amen. Don't you? So let's stand. Stand. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us. God, thank you for your goodness and your mercy in this house today. Thank you for standing with us as we stand for you. I pray that you do that for us in this place today, Lord. Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us fire. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would dare to be on fire. Not to be lukewarm, O oh God, but dare to be on fire for you. Dare, God, to be willing to stand against things that the world is bowing down to. Not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of your glory. The world will see, God, that that there are some things that I I, I don't do because my God asked me not to do those things. There are some things that 
are some words that don't come out of my mouth. There are some phrases, there's truth that comes out of my mouth. Help us in this place today to be willing to go in the fight. Help us to be willing to walk in the fight. Pray that upon everyone in this place today. Lord bless us, bring us honor. Not for ourselves. We are vessels of honor. Give us boldness and courage. Lord, give us wisdom. No pride, not trying to be right. But wisdom, God. Cunningness on how to stand. We want to be a light to this world. I'm forever indebted to many of you who said you were a beacon of light to me. And I will forever be thankful for you standing for God. I would not be here today if it wasn't for this church, this body, these people. When I came into this place, I said, That's, there, there's people who, who, who believe in us. They, they stand. They're not bowing down to us. They're standing. Let's continue we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. I'm not, I'm not going to let go of that, Brother Tommy. I'm going I'm to keep that. I'm going to hold that as part of who I am because I want to be that for somebody else. But you might face the fire, and if you do, God's going to be with you because He stands for